and welcome back to another episode of Favorite Things. And uh, yeah, this week we have uh, uh, we have walked headlong into new season of life. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, Betsy starts new work. Uh, yeah. The uh, interview that made us re-record a portion of the show last week. Uh, led to a job offer and acceptance so yeah. that'll be starting for too off long so uh just be aware uh as uh unstable and unreliable as we were before this will <laughs> probably affect that so yeah. uh just be aware uh we are trying to find our new normal in this season so there may be some gaps where we don't get an episode out every week please bear with us um in the meantime, uh, we hope you're enjoying the show. Let us know how you like the new format. And, uh, yeah. So, this week uh, is a little different in that we are kind of co- covering uh, double the content that we have the past two weeks. So we've, Without adding any time to it. Without really adding any real time to it. So... Um, This week, we are covering the first three episodes of Loki, uh, which is nearly three hours of content, uh, along with not one, but two romantic comedies. Yeah, that came almost kind of a surprise. So, uh, not to anyone who knows romantic comedies, but it was to you. Yeah. Um, So, uh, we're going to start with the romantic comedies, and then we will end with Loki, Unless you want to start with Loki and then end with rom-coms. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, so, we will start with your first pick for rom-com. Then we will pick the rom-com that I just put on. Yeah. And then we'll finish with Loki. Okay. All right. So, take the lead, Betsy. So, uh, my pick this week was my fat Greek wedding, which is great movie okay so why why that one we've we've got a mountain of rom-coms a couple that you suggested that i audibly groaned at yes but uh i said i would be i would i would do it i just i the groan that came out of your mouth said something else <laughs> no it's it it didn't con- contradict that I would it it said that I wouldn't enjoy it yeah um but we'll get to that when we get to Sweet Home Alabama (laughs) it will happen eventually um but no why why my big fat Greek wedding uh well as I was sitting there trying to uh come up with a movie um we would talk about I can remember I had given you like two options last week when we were talking. I was like, oh, either Sweet Home Alabama and then I couldn't remember the other one I was thinking which I remembered after we watched my big country wedding. The other one I was thinking was Fifty First Dates. Mm-hmm. Those are the two I was talking about last week. Um, I couldn't remember that. And all of a sudden my big fat Greek wedding just popped in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like an all-time favorite. You know? And so, yeah, that's why I picked that one. It's just another one that I love. It's always fun to watch. Um, it reminds me of my family. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for the record, you are uh, neither uh, Greek, uh, nor do you live in Toronto or Chicago. Correct. Um, nor does your family currently manage a restaurant. True. 
Well, we used to own a bagel shop. Yes. But, no, my family's just, it's big and loud and chaotic and... <laughs> that is true. And so it's whenever, I remember trying to be like, oh, I want everybody to meet this guy I started dating. And it was a, everybody came over versus just having the parents to meet and you. That was intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Still is. Um, <laughs> It, it does not get easier. Um, so so you connect with this movie at a, at a certain level. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, my brain, I'm tired. But it's, it, it's, uh, okay. <laughs> it's been a long day. Yeah, uh, I definitely connect. It just it does remind me of familial things. Um, I'm trying to remember how, like, for my wedding... I don't know, I feel like our wedding was pretty low-key, but there were issues coming up about, like, where we wanted versus what my parents wanted, and... Yeah, any just... anytime you have a wedding, um, I recently heard someone uh, discussing their upcoming nuptials and promptly kept my mouth shut <laughs> for once. Um, <laughs> but uh, everyone has something to say. Everyone. Yeah. And... Um, some of that is is great. Uh, some is genuine, you know, good advice, and, and it's nice to hear people out. And, and some of it is weddings are so emotionally draining um, and, and all all consuming for people. They people hinge so much on. Let's say if you have a really long wedding, four hours of your life, and in the grand scheme of things, the people who are actually having the weddings tend to remember about 15 minutes of it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's this big involved process, and it, it brings everybody in. People drive from out of town. They come to these things, and everybody's got an opinion on it, <laughs> and, uh, and it's it's a big thing the thing that's interesting in this movie is you then add in there's all new layers of cultural and religious background tied into that um, that complicate it even further and what you get is a movie that I would argue still largely holds up um, as as a movie Uh, we've we've watched other rom-coms and their quality is varying um, but this one, as a movie and as a story, holds up because it's it's a story that at the at the center of it is um, very human and is very relatable. Yeah. Especially if if you gotten married if if you've gotten married and, and you have someone who comes from a very different family system entering an all-new one it's <laughs> unique yes um but not as unique as you think when you watch a movie and someone else experienced some of your trials and tribulations <laughs> um so with with all that said um what else do you like about this movie um, goodness, what else I like? I like, um, 
I like the fact that so you have Tula. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. And you know, starting off, you know, she's dressed kind of frumpy and mm-hmm. um, she's wearing glasses that really don't fit her face and yeah. kind of like, kind of like she doesn't care. And one of the things that is almost a heartbreaking thing is her dad keeps looking at her saying, you're so old, you look so old, mm-hmm. and basically telling her she's ugly and she'll never get married. Yeah. And, you know, and so she treated herself like that. Mm-hmm. But as the movie starts progressing and the first scene where she first sees Ian coming into her family restaurant that she so desperately wants to get out of. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And she's 30 years old and still living under her dad's rule. So. Yeah. She um, is. She is 30 years old, played by a 40 year old woman. In yeah. This, so. Um. And a lot of that I resonate with because there was a lot of things that, um, trying to, even, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 25 and they did not support that decision at all because they felt like I should live with them until I got married. Yeah. And that's the way she was. Like, she had to get her her parents' permission to do anything. Yeah. Um, anyway, so as Ian comes in with his colleague, um, into the restaurant and as she, she just sees him and, like, it's like love at first sight in a way it's just kind of a and he's kind of he looks past the frump girl he does not see he doesn't see her frumpiness he just sees someone that you know he feels real i don't know like i i think and this is something i was i've tried to figure out in re-watches of the movie because he talks about seeing her in that opening scene and i so I watched the performance, and I'm trying to deci- decipher if I'm uh, John Corbett in this moment, what's what's going through my head, and I wonder if what he's thinking is that girl looks really sad, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not about how she looks based just entirely on how she looks, yeah. you know her her lack of makeup or glasses and stuff yeah. like that but so like she held herself she's she looks really sad i wonder why she's so yeah, sad like she's given up on herself because everybody else gave up on her everybody told her she would never get married that she would be at the restaurant for the rest of her life yeah but it's it, it's one of those things i find i find interesting I and mean, even just trying to because the movie doesn't really tell us Right. Because, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who's just now here, <laughs> hearing about My Big Fat Greek Wedding, this entire movie is based off of a one-woman show by Mia Bardolos, um, who stars in the film. And so a majority of this movie, uh, I would argue, isn't all-encompassing. It's her ride through these series of events. Yeah. And... Uh, the thing I I enjoyed watching it is I very much pick up on the um, anytime I tell a story, especially about my family, my tendency is to embellish yeah. uh, just because it makes a better story. There's yeah. there's a not so old saying that says uh, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Right. And so. When, when watching this movie, uh, I see those little bits of, 
And I'm like, okay, the movie played it like that, but you literally scale it back about 50%, and that's probably <laughs> exactly what happened. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I sat there watching the movie, and everything from the way she connects with her husband to the way that her family reacts and everything is how she's experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've learned in kind of going through my own journey in therapy and in, in writing some short stories and just trying to find my own voice is that what I'm hearing and what I'm experiencing and what I'm seeing are often so far different from what everyone else is experiencing and, uh, and living. And even if there was a video camera on it, different from objective reality, that seeing Nia's story play out is, it's kind of surreal. Like, I wonder if Nia, the, the actress, writer, producer, looks at this and goes, that's how it happened. At least that's how I remember it happening. Yeah. And everyone else who was there is like, no, that's, that's not, not it at all. Yeah, but my, um, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. Sorry, um, sorry. So from the time he walks in and sees her and just kind of, like, you know, he smiles and he just kind of watches her like he's, I don't know, the, I'm trying to think of the word, he's taken by her, like, for whatever reason. He's interested he's right interested, away. He's interested. And it's trying, you're trying to figure out what is he, like you said, it's something I never picked up on. Is he just seeing somebody sad that he's like trying to smile at her and make her happy or, you know, what's his deal in that moment? But after that scene, it's when she starts, she decides, you know what, I want to take these computer classes. And as she goes for these computer classes, she starts really working on her appearance. But it, I don't think it's just her appearance, it's her confidence. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, she puts contacts in, is like, the first thing she does is, you know, get rid of the glasses that don't fit her face, and then, like, fixing her hair, and so then, um, she builds up enough confidence and gets the skills that she needs, and talking to her mom and aunt, her aunt owns a travel agency, and she's like, I really want to work at this travel agency that the aunt works at, and the aunt does not want to work there, Yeah. but she doesn't have anybody to take it. So they came up with a plan to get her dad to make it think it's his idea for for Tula to work here, and then her getting her starting here, she's much happier, and that's when Ian discovers that she's working there by walking by one day. He starts like flirting through the window, and before too long, he comes inside to introduce himself, whatever, and they start dating, mm -hmm. um, and then. Before too long, a family member discovers that it's like so and so, like a friend of so and so's aunt, so and so, uh, saw them making out in the car. <laughs> what was it? outside of the Denny's? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, sorry, memories there, but <laughs> with TGI Fridays. <laughs> okay, so for those of you listening and why Betsy has taken this rabbit trail. Uh, Betsy and my first several kisses was <laughs> out front of a TGI Fridays as they were closing yeah, down. We were making out in front of and TGI so we were making out in front of a TGI Fridays. And so we relate to the yeah, fact that someone would make make out in front of a Denny's. In the, in the parking lot. Anyway, so um so her 
her cousin comes in like the family knows you know so they're going to meet him and of course the dad's like no you can't date my daughter and everything and so trying to set her up with all of his friends that are of course you know his age not all of them. There were <laughs> there a couple younger ones. There are a couple were of like, younger so. ones who who just look like they literally just robbed a, a drugstore yeah. before coming over. But the thing is, he's not letting her date date Ian because Ian is not Greek. Yes. And so that that was the deal breaker. He's not Greek, so now he's just trying to set him up with any single Greek man that he meets. So in the meantime, after every time they're trying to set him up, she's going off and going out with Ian, and it's like, she doesn't care, until he asks her to marry him, and, uh, and of course she accepts the proposal, but now she's got to go tell him, like, hey, I'm, I'm getting married, I'm marrying him, he, this is who I yeah. choose. And so it's just the whole thing, and you know, this man, he loves her so much that he goes to her father, and he's like, I will convert to the, um, Greek Orthodox. the Greek Orthodox. And I will be baptized because that was the big thing is she won't be able to get married in the Greek church. Mm-hmm. And so he goes above and beyond what I feel like any man should do to be able to <laughs> marry the woman he loves. But he does it because he, he loves her and he knows that in order to marry her, he has to take her family. Yeah. And so that was important to him. And he's an only child with two cousins where she's got 27 cousins. And, you know, a lot like my family wants to <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. it it's a lot. It's it's yeah. going from at his family home. They go and they sit and they listen to records and drink wine. And yeah. when they go to her house, it is absolute chaos. Yeah, it's a chaos. It's a party every time. And it's and his family is vegetarians. Where her family is like, oh, you're vegetarian. You know what do you mean? Okay, we'll make lamb. Like they cannot even. They do not understand the concept so of vegetarian. I I read an interesting. Uh, commentary on that uh, section of the movie and the commentary was that this is a family that came out of World War II and World War II in Greece, you literally everything you got, which wasn't much, you used. You used every bit of what you got and you you ate it. There, there was no complaining. And so this family that would have come out of that, the very thought that someone might turn down the opportunity to have meat yeah. at a at a meal is just mind-boggling yeah but anyway just the progression of like their relationship and then her relationship with her family through this as she was in a way an outcast without being outcasted mm-hmm. if that makes sense um to being like an integral part of the family but at the same time kind of her own person because she she demanded her independence yeah and when nobody else would ever think to do that you know like i remember there's a part in the movie i think where her mom kind of talked about wishing she could or something i'm trying to remember yeah there's there's a point in the movie where her mom talks about her hopes and dreams before getting married and then there's another point in the movie where uh her brother lewis um is talking about uh, wanting to take art classes mm-hmm. just like she did to, to do something different. Yeah. And it's she is the inciting incident that creates all of this movement yeah. and drama within the family yeah. to the point where her poor father is just trying to hold on to normalcy and everything his world seems to be right. spinning. Yeah, but his normalcy is not what it needs 
for everyone else. It's all it's, but in those moments, it's about him, and he does not realize what he's doing. Yes, he can't really she, try to hold on to that. She constantly is talking about how she is uh, trying to hurt him. Yeah, and it's it's this view of in the moment what needs to happen and there's a great dialogue between the mom and him where she comes in basically to say hey you need to get it together and he goes look I don't know if he's a good guy I don't know if his parents are good people I don't know anything about him for him all of his life has been built around this culture and this community yeah. that is close-knit and so he knows everyone right. and he knows everything about everyone and so if a if a Greek boy came and talked he knew he knows their parents right. he knows them he he can tell you front to back you know they're a good guy they, they have a job they here comes this outsider yeah and he knows nothing about him. He and he, his first reaction was to shut him out and to not let her, which made it even harder because then she just went behind his back. Well, you run through all of that, and then you run through the the issue of he he is trying to hold it all together. Yeah. This entire system that that largely, I'm sure he if he didn't build it, he has at least helped in building. Yeah, it. and and so when he sees Tula leaving that nest and, and going out into the world yeah. with a stranger to him, yeah. that is terrifying for two reasons. One, that changes the system, but two, that's his little girl going out there. Right. Yeah. And she's doing her own thing. She's not doing what was expected of her. Even in getting married, like, she's getting married, but she's getting married as an independent woman versus, like, her sister getting married as a housewife and baby maker yeah and you know that's what was expected and you you know and then in the end like they get married they have this crazy chaotic wedding with nothing that she chooses not even her wedding dress yes and and uh she uh in the end like her parents their gift for them uh, their wedding gift was a house yes which was a big deal, and then in the end you realize the house is directly next door. So, uh, <laughs> the, the movie's about, I don't know, almost, I would say the movie's about compromise. Yeah. And it's, okay, what are you willing to give, and what are you hoping to receive in, in this type of situation? In your big fat Greek wedding, what is... What are you what are you willing to give and, and accept? And there are some family systems where living right next door to your to your in-laws would be totally fine. We have family that live yeah. right next door to, or in some cases in the same house as, uh, their in-laws. But for for me, I'm I'm like, I need space. Yeah. I I need, you know, I need that 10-minute drive. So that when we have that awkward dinner at your house, I can I can unwind a little <laughs> bit before I get home. Yeah. Um, but that's you know different for different people. Yeah. I think some people can can live with that, and that's great. Yeah. And I am not and them. For them. Yeah, but for them it was it was an awesome gift because it was a gift of them accepting Ian yes. as their son. And you know, just being able to be like, hey, you're still part of our family. You're still part of our community. 
it's just a really sweet movie. It's funny. I mean, it's definitely it's a romantic comedy. And it's... Yeah, it's it's one that the further we get away from it, I really have to remember that the show and and even I would argue the movie are set in the '90s, not yeah. in the early 2000s. Because so much changes in this movie, if you mention internet, cell phone, oh, yeah. uh, or social media, it right. immediately changes the context right. of the movie. And so, uh, this movie has to exist at a specific point in time, but it's awesome yeah. in, in that. This is one of those rom-coms that if you want to put on, I'll watch. And yeah. I will enjoy because I saw it before I met you and I enjoyed it. And yeah. so it's it's a good movie. It is a legitimately good movie. Uh, I didn't mention this at the top, but this was produced by Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, uh, and Tom Hanks's uh, production company, Playtone. Um, and this is one that I think we watch once or twice a year, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just a good one yeah. in the circulation. It's always one that's worth a watch. Alright, we're going to take a quick break, unless you've got anything else to wrap up on. No. Alright, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about one of the all-time classic rom-coms that Betsy and I just watched for the first time. We'll be right back. going to be talking about what is widely considered uh, the, I would say, the most copied, at least in formats and in uh, model rom-com of the modern era, and that is When Harry Met Sally, uh, released in 1989, starring uh, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. I have heard about this movie. I have seen it quoted. I have, uh-huh. I have watched it be the the top rom com ever, and just never got around to watching it. Um, and for me, it was literally there was always something else to watch. For you, it was that rated R label. Yes. Um, and I. Spoiler alert for anyone in the in the audience. If something's rated R, Betsy will hang back until I say, no, I think you really need to watch this. Yeah, I'm not going to go out um, and watch it. And for me, I if I'm going to go into anything with... I, I suspect there might be an issue. I pop up in IMDb, check out the, the parental advisory, just because I don't like to be surprised. I, I watch R-rated stuff all the time, but I like to know what I'm getting myself into, and there's stuff I know I can handle and stuff I know I can't, and that changes from day to day, month to month, year yeah. to year. Looking up this one, this is rated R for some language, uh, but overall, I I love this movie. This might be top three rom-coms yeah. for me. It was really good. I was very surprised. I was like, okay, I'm not going to like it. I kind of 
had it in my head. Like, I'm like, yeah, the, the previews were funny because we watched the previews the other day. Yeah. Just to see if it would be something, if I would be remotely interested in it. Once, yeah. Knowing that it was rated R. And I just, I couldn't see past that R rating. And I'm like, yeah, I probably won't like it. Well, I'll probably get halfway through and be like, this is too much for me. Whatever the content, whatever gives yeah. you that R rating. But no, we watched it and it was a really fun movie. And so I, I love Billy Crystal, um, City Slickers, Saturday Night Live, uh, Princess Bride. Yeah. Uh, I love Rob Reiner movies. Rob Reiner tends to inject a good amount of heart into his movies and a good amount of humor. And then uh, I will say it just right now, this is my favorite Meg Ryan movie. Hands, hands down. I like it better than Sleepless in Seattle. I like it better than You've Got Mail. This this takes the top spot uh, for Meg Ryan movies. Just at 28, she knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Um, I could see that. Arguably the best she's been in something I've seen. Yeah. I agree with that. It, it, yeah. I honestly don't know how much I have to say about it just because it was my first time watching it. And mm-hmm. so I still have to, you know, with... Uh, with like my big fat Greek wedding, I've seen it so many times. I you know, and I know I've got, I've I've got the history of not remembering movies, even no matter how many times I watch it, I'm still surprised by. It. But there's still after watching it, there's that that memory that comes, and I'm like, able. But this is this is brand new to me. <laughs> so so for me, this one is it was watching it, and I I have so much pop culture allusions to this movie. Mm-hmm. It was really experiencing the movie and waiting for the, that punchline that you know is coming. But at the same time, everything around the punchline hit. And then that punchline that I've heard a thousand times, yeah. the the fake orgasm scene in the <laughs> diner, and then I'll have what she's having, that's that's a joke I've, I've heard a million times in other contexts. Yeah. And 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 they've been referring to this movie, and so I know that, and I know it's coming. And then we get to that scene, and everything that is built to that moment is so perfect yeah. that that moment hits. Even though I know it's coming, right. I know the punchline. It hits ten out of ten times, and that is amazing. If you, one of the worst things that happens in the modern era with film is you've watched a trailer for a movie and they put the best jokes in the trailer and then you watch the movie and it doesn't hit the same. Right. And it's because you've heard the joke and it's not funny anymore. Right. And the reason is everything around it was there, but that joke was the thing that got you. When Harry Met Sally, the jokes are funny. The movie that carries the jokes is so strong. Yeah. So... I, I do want to talk about this a bit. Yes, and please. wherever you want to jump in, please jump okay. in. So this movie scattered throughout it. It's almost like uh, chapter titles for, for the movie. Oh, yeah. Are these, are these interviews with couples? So the question Betsy asked me early on in the movie is, are these real couples? And so I did a little digging and I found out, according to trivia uh 
all of these stories that these couples are telling are true. Uh, they were gathered by Rob Reiner, and then he got them to, uh, uh, why am I, Nora Ephron, who wrote this movie, who also wrote and directed You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. Um, this is the movie that got her those jobs. Yeah. Uh, this, these couples are, are written into the script. And then they got these no-name actors to to act the roles. And they do it interview style. Like they're sitting on a couch yeah. talking about how they met, how they fell in love. And they're these, they're these sweet older couples. There's this story of this couple that got divorced and then 35 years later got remarried. And <laughs> it's all these great stories. And they're almost like these chapters that break up the movie and kind of hone in on this theme of finding your true love and finding true love in unusual places and it really really works for me yeah uh was there a favorite you had out of all of them oh those stories uh, i'm trying to remember them because they were all so sweet there were some that were i felt like were a little stronger than others so yeah, one that really... one that was really cute to me was the Asian couple where yes. uh, they're sitting I mean, there yeah. and they're they're talking and, and he goes and so I I had this I knew that I was going to be marrying this girl and so I decided to sneak around and and see where she worked and I saw her and immediately I was like they got a good one. Yeah, because he was worried that the girl that they were bringing for him to marry the next day was going to be ugly. Yes. And so he wanted to make sure she was pretty. Otherwise, he was. He said, I wouldn't, I won't marry her if she's not pretty. And when he saw her, he got really happy. He said, okay, I'll marry her. Yes. <laughs> and didn't tell anybody that he looked at her before the wedding. So it's, it's a, so these little stories are peppered throughout the movie. And then you have the story of. Harry and Sally played by Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan and so the way the movie starts the movie starts with them in college which is hilarious because Billy Crystal at this point is around 40 45 <laughs> um, and Meg Ryan's 28 but uh, they are leaving uh, the University of Chicago yeah. I believe to head to New York for both of them to go to work and Billy Crystal is dating Meg Ryan's friend, and Meg Ryan is just headed off to work in New York as well. So they're carpooling together. And so, uh, right off the bat, uh, Harry is obnoxious, and uh, and they get in the car. He pulls out some grapes, and he spits into the window, and goes, he goes. Oh, don't worry, I'll roll down the window. So rolls out the window and then proceeds to, while having a conversation with Meg Ryan, just spit grape seeds out the window. <laughs> um, but they have a conversation as they're going. And uh, Harry is so... Um, he thinks he's deep. He is the consummate 22-year-old college graduate. And he thinks he's smarter than uh, everyone. He has got life figured out because he's thought about death and thinks about it constantly. Yeah. And uh, and Sally, Sally's an idealist and she's trying to figure things out. And, 
uh, they go to a diner to grab food on the way, and uh, Harry posits uh, a conceit to Sally that uh, men and women can't be friends because sex always gets in the way. And they have this debate about whether you can honestly have a friend of the opposite sex. And then Harry comes on to her a little bit and then they move on and we skip ahead five years. Mm -hmm. Uh, They meet again at an airport. Harry sees her with another man and doesn't recognize her immediately. And so their stories kind of weave in and weave out of each other. And we get these people who relationships fall away. They come back. Harry gets married and then divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, She has a relationship that that just kind of falls by the wayside before it ever really gets deep. And she's very conservative relationally where she um, waits until she's really serious with someone to engage in any sort of sexual relationship. And so she's only in quotes, been with one or two guys. And Harry, Harry is just jumping into bed with everyone because that's what he thinks he's got to do. And they both confront each other about their stances Mm -hmm. and have raw conversations. Eventually they do become friends before becoming romantically involved. And it almost falls apart in the second act uh, when they fall into bed together and they almost throw it away and then at the very last minute uh, they realize they want to be together mm-hmm. and the end of the movie shows them married together Yeah. and the the thing that's fascinating throughout the movie is I think the stories told by the couples and Harry and Sally back up the fact that a relationship needs to be more than just sex. Yeah. And it needs to be... There needs to be a conversation. There needs to be a, a dialogue. There needs to be a friendship. Yeah. Um, and several of the stories even talk about the, the friendship being the thing that, that saves things. But... Uh, that's the basic framework of this movie. I don't want to give everything away because honestly, if you haven't seen this movie and you're of age to see it, go see it. It's a really good romantic comedy. Um, I love Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher as uh, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan's best friends in this. They are fantastic. Um, One of Meg Ryan's uh, love interests, I think the love interest she has trouble getting over is... uh, is uh, President Ford's President Gerald Ford's son? Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the the whole movie is this great. I was shocked by how pretty it is. Yeah, the movie is so beautifully shot in New York, and again, doing some reading on the movie, the idea behind the cinematography was. Harry and Sally can't get over themselves. And yeah. so they can't see the world around them. Mm-hmm. Um, even as we see the world around them. And 
it was a it was a thematic choice and it really works because the movie every set every scene is a painting i i follow a, a twitter account called one perfect shot and the whole point of this twitter account is uh literally any in good cinematography any freeze frame of a movie you should be able to pop it out and put it on a wall mm-hmm. and and so much of this movie works just like that where you could literally pop that that frame out of the the series of uh film blow it up and you could frame it there there are moments where they're walking through new york in the fall and it is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. and i don't know i i'm having trouble without just repeating jokes the movie's great another moment that stood out to me is billy crystal right after he's been dumped by his uh soon-to-be ex-wife he's at a, he's had a football game with bruno kirby and they are they are talking about how horrible life is while doing the wave yeah and the it's wave just, and the wave going. keeps coming by and it's yeah, just <laughs> it's this it's this yeah she wants to be with other people and then they go up and do the wave. Yeah, uh, apparently she's known she was leaving for like two weeks now. Then they do the wave again. <laughs> and it's it's the absurdity of reality and the, the humorousness of, of what hits us when we're at our lowest point. Yeah. Like, in the moment, you can't see the ridiculous ridiculousness of what is happening but the moment you're able to pull out even a little bit it just looks so funny yeah um other things i want to uh i want to point out is billy crystal is in top form in this movie Mm -hmm. easily gives one of his best performances uh it's also one of his most deep performances most of the time when you see a billy crystal movie he is coming at you with delivery that's a hundred lines a minute. He, him and Robin Williams used to compete with each other uh, <laughs> when it came to uh, joke delivery. And he is in top form in this movie and somehow manages to swing between uh, a million jokes a minute, uh, Billy Crystal, all the way back to I've just been dumped and I can't be alone right now. Yeah. And that's amazing dramatic range. And I loved it. I love this movie. This is one I want to watch again. Yeah, me Uh, too. I I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I'm looking forward to kind of learning it, getting to know it, kind of watching it again and just to see what the things I can pick out because... I can't pick out all the things after just one watch through it. Well, I one of the things I love is um, spoiler alert for a movie that's over thirty years old <laughs> um, is the fact that Meg Ryan and uh, Billy Crystal uh, both bring their best friends for each other. Yeah, and they end up going home together and end up getting married. Yeah, and it's. It's so real to the experience of, hey, we're going to set so-and-so up with with this person. And then they end up leaving with an entirely different person. Um, But I... 
I just, I enjoyed the whole ride. Yeah. And uh, Rob Reiner did such a good job. Uh, come to find out, most of this movie, the Harry role, is very much autobiographical for him. Um, in that he had divorced Penny Marshall and uh, had really just been kind of trying to figure out if he believed in romance, if if he could find it. He ended up meeting his wife on the set of this movie. Um, and they're still together. And it's, it's interesting when you get to see reality play itself out in fantasy. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I... I really enjoyed that one. This week was a was a two for two winner. We were pushing our luck, and we yeah we we saw two really good ones this week. And yeah, and with, when Harry met Sally, we had no idea what we were getting into. I, I had an idea, but I didn't know for certain. And yeah. uh, both of these films, by the way, uh, from our rom coms this week, are both available on HBO Max. Um, both are really, really, really good and really worth your time. Uh, if you haven't checked out When Harry Met Sally because of uh, the language, um, if you can stand it, check it out. It's... Outside of, like, the F word was... They use the F word four times. So... But I don't remember any other language in it. Oh, there's plenty, but it's... I guess I just... It's... It it's... Out. It's one that if you're super sensitive to language, I get it. But at the same time, I really enjoyed this movie. If it's ever edited for TV, definitely check it out. Yeah. And if you're willing to risk it, check it out anyway. It's yeah. it's worth it. So we're going to step away. When we come back, we're going to shift gears and streaming services. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the first three episodes of Loki. We're back. Changing gears from rom-coms and HBO Max, we are over at the House of Mouse with Disney <laughs> Plus, and uh, we're talking about Loki. So, I have a confession to make. When they announced this TV show, I had absolutely no idea who needed this and uh, <laughs> why we were we were going to be following uh, Loki on a. Uh, on a series of uh, adventures uh, to find redemption. I knew that it was an alternate universe Loki as shown to us in Avengers Endgame, but um, I was trying to figure out uh, who needed this. And uh, the answer was me. I needed this. <laughs> uh, last year, this was hands down my favorite uh, Marvel show uh, that came out. And uh, rewatching these episodes, I I'm remembering why. But um, what did what did you think as we've been rewatching? I know that around episode two, you were really tired and having trouble focusing. Yeah. But what what are you thinking as we're going back through? Um, I feel like I'm still having a hard time following and understanding. Is it? Is it the science fiction kind of 
mechanics of it all? Probably. Okay. But it's just one I have a harder time. I just personally, just the way my brain works, and yeah, I do have a harder time following it. It's okay. I'm trying. It's okay. It but. is. It is kind of mind bending. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to try to explain it mm-hmm. without butchering it. <laughs> so uh, this takes place after Avengers Endgame, uh, when another universe's Loki escapes from a situation and is promptly grabbed by uh, a special forces group that patrols all of time and makes sure that anyone who is out of their place or what they're supposed to be doing is eliminated. The rules as they explain it are that at one point, anytime there was any choice, things split off and there was a massive multiverse. Um, filled with madness, almost like they were alluding to a title of a movie that's coming out in May. (laughs) Um, But eventually, the Keepers of Time, who are depicted as three statues of alien beings, subdued all of those extra universes into a single sacred timeline that runs through, meaning events happen a certain way in a certain uh, framing, and that's the way they happen. And there is a beginning, a middle, and at some point down the line, an end. And so the Time Variance Authority, the TVA, not Tennessee Valley Authority, <laughs> uh, the the TVA patrols this timeline and makes sure that nothing gets out of whack. Uh, any variation of an individual as they are supposed to exist on the sacred timeline is considered a variant. And so uh, this police force catches Loki, grabs him, puts him in, we'll call it time jail for lack of a better term, and says, hey, here's, here's what you did. Here's what you're accused of. Uh, you weren't supposed to get away from the Avengers. You were supposed to get locked up and taken to Asgard. And at a certain point, Loki is shown all of the sequence of events that he went through in Avengers. Uh, Thor the Dark World. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. And even the opening minutes of Avengers Infinity War. And he watches his own death. And that's very dark and disturbing. But... Uh, After this, he kind of comes to terms with the fact that if I want to survive, I have to be different than I was. And the caseworker who is kind of at his side is Eric Mobius. I'm going to verify that real quick with a quick Wikipedia, but played by Owen Wilson. And Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston really sell this show. They have such great chemistry. Um, they have such... Um, no, it's Mobius Mobius. Uh, His name is Mobius Mobius? Yeah. 
Anyhow, uh, so it's it really plays out as this dynamic where Loki is constantly trying to be Loki. He is constantly trying to double cross so that he can get power. Now, early in the first episode, he tries to escape and get the uh, Tesseract, which he had in... Bobby, stop being a bully. Uh, <laughs> she's been doing that a lot. Yeah. Um, but he had an Infinity Stone in his hand. He knows he had an Infinity Stone in his hand. He goes to this office when he's trying to escape, and this office worker, played by Eugene Cordero, says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll give you your thingy back, opens a desk, and it is full of Infinity Stones. And, and Loki is just in utter shock because they're just sitting at a desk. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you have more than one of these? He goes, oh yeah, a lot of the guys have them for paperweights. Yeah, they're worthless. They're worthless. And it's, it's this moment that completely changes his view of the universe because up until now, that was the apex of power. That was the ultimate in regards to, if I have this no one can hurt me. If I have this, I'm in control. But when he sees them scattered about inside of a desk as paperweights to a peon in this organization, (laughs) it completely rocks his world. More than even seeing his own death on screen. Mm -hmm. And he figures out, okay, I need to do something to get to the head of this organization. So he agrees to work on this case, trying to track down someone. And at the end of the first episode, he finds out that that someone is a version of him. (laughs) So we get into episode two and episode two is the pursuit of this uh, variant Loki. And we travel throughout time. uh, We travel uh, back to the 1980s to a renaissance festival um, good Betsy um, she just sprayed our cat for scratching off furniture um, we travel all the way to the 2050s to a hurricane um, lots of nifty little easter eggs a lot of dialogue uh some of the cool timey-wimey things, uh, very Doctor Who, um, are the fact that if a variant doesn't want to be detected, they hide out around natural disasters. Uh, they call them apocalypses. Um, places where everyone in the area was wiped out by the natural disaster. Yeah. And so they find out that that's where this Loki variant is hiding. Um, And so they travel to the year 2052, I believe, um, to effectively the Marvel Universe equivalent of a Walmart, Mm -hmm. uh, where these people are hunkered down trying to hide. Um, In the meantime, apparently one of the time agents from the beginning of the episode has been captured. They find this agent at this Walmart and find out that the Loki variant has 
gotten a hold of the information on where the timekeepers are and how to get to them. So, episode two ends with Loki coming face to face with a variant of himself that is a female. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, the little time windows that these uh, time cops use uh, all activate and bombs go into them and bomb the timeline. All of this activates, causes havoc everywhere, and we roll into episode three. Episode three begins with Loki pursuing this other variant. Um, Sylvie. Sylvie, we will find out is her name. Uh, they fight through the uh, the TVA before ultimately getting uh, thrown through a window into a universe that is uh, a little different than ours. A planet is collapsing. A moon is coming down on top of it. Uh, and they've got to figure a way out. And uh, they do lots of clever stuff. I'm not given a complete play-by-play -play on this one because, again, a lot of this is spectacle, a lot of this is coordination, a lot of this is exposition that they are better at delivering than I am. Uh, their instrument for getting back is broken. They decide they'll try to get off the planet on one of the powerful ships. The episode ends with the ship being destroyed and them walking away in defeat. And that is the end of episode three of Loki. And believe it or not, we're halfway through this series. Yeah, there's only a few more episodes. Um, what I want to talk about isn't just what happens, but the dynamics of what's really interesting is this, um, this time variance authority is really interesting from a number of standpoints. The first of which is that this is the first time we've really dealt with an organization that wasn't based on Earth. And it exists outside of everything we've experienced as far as Marvel Comics movies. And so they're aware of what the Avengers did. And they were supposed to do that. And that's it. And they're basically just going back and forth and making sure no one colors outside the lines. And... That's an interesting idea. Time is supposed to operate a certain way. These are the people who make sure it happens. Uh, other things that are interesting are uh, the facts that they talk about the universe at one time being a multiverse. And uh, the way they describe it in the show kind of alludes to uh, Marvel Comics events in the past. Uh, where multiversal conflicts happen, almost as if they are the past of this movie, um, which is a neat little meta commentary. Uh, other things I like is the design of the TVA. It's very sci-fi looking. And we came to find out that uh, several of the interiors from the TVA are an actual hotel in Atlanta. Um, yeah, you, did that, you looked that up after I was like, is that a real place? Because it looks like a really cool hotel. And it is. It is a, uh, the lobby and interior of a really cool hotel in Atlanta. Uh, if you want to look that up, uh, you can go to IMDb, look up Loki, 
and down towards the bottom there is a thing that says shooting locations and you can actually see where they shot the movie fun fact you can do that for most movies yeah. <laughs> um but i love the design it's very 70s retro uh and aesthetic um i love owen wilson in how he deals with most everything in the first two episodes. Um, when he's talking to, uh, he's talking to a child in like the 1500s, he's very calm with it. Whenever other agents are getting agitated, he's like, listen, it's just a kid. Back off. Yeah. Um, whenever he's dealing with Loki, he's like, hey, I know who you are. You've killed a bunch of people. No, I'm not going to turn my back on you. <laughs> and Owen Wilson brings something something to the role that I don't think another actor could have. Yeah. Uh, there's a... What's the word I'm looking for? There's a... There's an earnestness. There's a, there's a, a gentleness to him that another ca- character actor would have played differently. Yeah. They might have been more on the authoritarian side, or because there's a line he he gives where he's talking about the timekeepers and the sacred timeline, and he talks about it almost in a religious context of, I, they say it so I believe it, and 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 he kind of throws that line away. It's whereas someone else might have played it much more intense. And I'm a religious zealot for for these time, but that's not how he plays it and his his convictions are no less real but they're conversational yeah and that's very much Owen Wilson in his delivery and I I appreciate that what's the cat doing this time she got the collar again of course so our cats don't wear collars we have two uh that the cats like to play with like toys she found it the other day and now it's like we keep putting it up out of her reach but she still manages to get it so she's a smart she's a smart cookie that cat so and she just brought it to us um so yeah uh design acting uh there are a ton of uh not as well known uh actors of color in this uh show uh who do phenomenal jobs and I'm not going to attempt to say several of their names because I'm not great at the pronunciation. Um, but uh, here we go. Uh, Ravona Renslayer um, is played by. Um, I'm going to make an attempt. Uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw uh, plays her. She is kind of the lieutenant who's the head of the, the time agents. Um, Again, going to attempt to make a, a an attempt. Uh, Wunmi Musaka or Musaku? Yep, shouldn't have tried. Uh, <laughs> plays a uh, Hunter B fifteen. She's kind of the chief, uh, like agent cop, like the bigger black lady, who's always uh, scrapping with Loki. They do phenomenal in this as in roles that will be expounded more in episodes four, five, and six. Yes. Um, but. Uh, and then we get Sylvie, who for the longest time I called Selfie, as kind of a joke about Loki having yeah. a walking, talking Selfie. Uh, <laughs> but she 
she plays a female Loki variant who has some similarities to Tom Hiddleston, but I think the thing they do really well in this is in setting the rules early on that a variant can honestly vary wildly from the, the base character we know, she's able to have her own bend to this, this character. Sylvie is wounded, she's angry, she's... Um, she is actively going after the TVA versus uh, our Loki in the show, who's kind of along for the ride. Yeah. And it makes for an interesting dynamic. It's a dynamic that we're going to talk about a lot more on our next episode. But they play really well off of each other. Um, there's uh, been commentary around about the, the sexuality of, of Loki. And... It's kind of hard to talk about because, first of all, in a world where your variants could be male or female, or <laughs> and then on top of that, they're alien races, so there's questions of how that works anyhow, yeah. and so all of that just goes to, to say, this is a show that many are calling a, a queer show. That's fine. Uh, I know next to nothing about the LGBTQ community, so I can't speak to it. It's just there. Um, but it does provide some interesting relationship dynamics when characters are trying to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, uh, and the two Lokis are talking to each other and they're talking about, have you ever had someone you were in love with? And at the end of the day, for each of them, the answer is no, not really. Because they're both in love with themselves. Yeah. And what you can see, even from episode three, when Sylvie really is a character, is these two Lokis run the risk of falling in love with... Each other. A.K.A. themselves. Right. So, we'll talk about this more next week, or whenever the episode comes out. But, um, this show goes to interesting places in three episodes. It goes to even weirder places in episodes four, five, and six. And even if Betsy doesn't fully follow it, yeah. she'll watch it with me anyway. Yeah, you watch the, the romantic comedies with me, so. It's okay. Uh, maybe after we're done with Loki and Multiverse of Madness, maybe we'll go through and do a full Doctor Who rewatch. That could be interesting. That's a lot. Yeah, but I figure we would take it one series at a time and then break yeah. and do something else. Like, do an Eccleston uh, oh, yeah. review go do something else for a few weeks, then do a David Tennant review, yeah. then go do something else for a few weeks, then do a Matt Smith review, do something else. Yeah, yeah, so on and so forth. And I do enjoy most of Doctor Who. There's a few that I could do without, but... It's, it's a weird show, just yeah, like Loki. And that's what I enjoy about Loki, is it reminds me a lot of Doctor Who. Uh, it's, it's Doctor Who if it was run by the Marvel Universe. <laughs> But anyhow, that's all I got for this week. Uh, you got anything else as you yawn? Sorry. No, I don't think so. No. Uh, guys, as I said at the top of the show, we are in some major tr life transition right now uh, in that both of us are going to be starting new jobs uh, with one of us tomorrow, yeah. the other one of us within the next few weeks. Um, yeah, today was my last day at my... At 
place I've been working for seven years, and yeah, and tomorrow I start a new job. So yeah, so very bittersweet. Like I said, some major transitions, and with life change comes schedule change. So. I can't promise you that we'll have an episode next week, uh, but we are going to try to stay as regular as we can. Uh, Please, please, please subscribe. Please uh, rate us five stars on your podcast uh, service of choice. Please tell your friends about us. Please tell your enemies about us. Please put us on your enemy's podcast feed um, on as many devices as they have. Um, And uh, yeah. I hope you'll join us next week as we wrap up Loki and we talk about what will undoubtedly be a worse rom-com, but (laughs) we might be surprised. We might be. So uh, I'm going to let Betsy take us out. Y'all have a great night or a great week, whatever. I know it's getting evening here for us, but, you know, I'm ready to go to bed and it's not 6 o'clock. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, y'all have a great week, a blessed week. And keep enjoying your favorite things.